Don Waddell, Ron Brindamore, they spoke to the media today. What are the Canes doing this offseason? Let's hit it and quit it. The Canes talked about, or Don Waddell and Rob Brindamore talked about goaltending. This past season, they had Auntie Ranta, they had Freddie Anderson, each of them having to deal with injuries in some way, shape, or form for themselves. Now, Freddie Anderson, we saw Luis Fernandez, was strong in the postseason. Auntie Ranta started the postseason for Carolina because Freddie had a little bit of a sickness, tweaked a little something as well, but then he came back strong, and he was great. Yeah. Overall, he was outstanding. Those those two were not the reason why the Canes lost no, in the Eastern Conference Finals. they are not. Carolina has an issue at goalie in terms of, well, the only one signed for next season is Piotr Kachekov. Yep. Is that Freddie Anderson coming back? Auntie Ranta coming back? Well, Don Waddell talked about Anderson and Ranta. Both goalies want to come back. Uh, we know that. Uh, you know, Obviously, depending on what the contract terms are. Uh, you know, we just want to make sure that we do our due diligence, uh, not only on our guys, but make sure we know what the options are. Um, you know, if you look at our goaltending, it's been, you know, pretty good. Uh, you know, Freddie had maybe a tougher year this year, but it was outstanding in the playoffs. Um, you know, we, goaltending seems to be a question all the time, but we we're fortunate because with the defense that we've built here, uh, it, it really helps uh, our goalies. So. Um, you know, those decisions are coming in the near future because uh, free agency starts July 1st. And we want to make sure we're ahead of that. So uh, in the next couple of weeks, I think we'll uh, figure the, uh, the whole goaltending thing out. So over the last five years, Carolina has used a multitude of goaltenders, whether it was Peter Morazic and Curtis McElhaney, Peter Morazic alongside James Reimer. We saw Alex Nedeljkovic come up as well. We've seen Kochekov. We've seen Ranta. We've seen Freddie Anderson. We've seen a multitude of goalies play significant amount of time here in Carolina over the last five years. But as Don Waddell just said, defensively, the thing that what they've built defensively has been so strong that it hasn't mattered. No. That overall, it hasn't mattered. They still have made deep playoff runs. They're the only franchise in the last five years in the NHL to have won a playoff series and gotten the bubble up there in, in 2020. All right? Only franchise. And, again, it's been a multitude of goalies that have done this and have had success because of the defense they've built. But, again, the question is, who are you bringing back? Yeah, because, I mean, it's I, I guess if you are want to. Are you bringing someone back? I, I'm, I'm going to assume the way I kind of look at it, right, is you bring Freddie back and then Ronta will be the question, is what do you do there? Because, you know, they, they need three. That's just what the NHL is now. That's how things are moving. Um, for better or worse, you may kind of look at Freddie and, and, and Ronta and kind of say, okay, they're a little bit more injury prone. You know, Waddell mentioned uh, Freddie having a bit more of a down regular season. He uh, played in 34 games in the regular season. Uh, last year, he played in 52 games. Uh, his final year in Toronto, he played in 24 games, but that was, you know, the 2020, 2021 season. So uh, it's it's the it's the fewest games he played in a little bit. But yeah. Um, you know, he turned it on in the postseason when he was ready to go and he was healthy and all that stuff. So, I, I don't know. I think Freddie's Freddie's the guy you're definitely going to want to bring back. And then it's, what do you do from there? Waddell also talked about the need not only to have a number one and a number two or a 1A and a 1B, but you got to have maybe a 1C. We believe Kachkov is our future for sure. Is he ready for that full-time thing right now? Uh, we'll find out probably uh, if we get him next year. But, you know, 
doesn't matter who you have. We went through it we, before these guys were here. You're, you're, this position, you seem to always have injuries, so we're going to have to have three capable players, that's for sure. Um, and obviously, Koch is going to be one of them, the big pieces there. So, you know, for us, the way it worked out this year, with the, the, you know, when we had an injury for Freddie, you know, Rance was going good, and Kochkov came in and played well. Um, the day of goalies playing 55, 60 games, I think, are, are behind us for the most part. Some guys still do. Uh, but I think in our situation, uh, if we have to use a three-goalie system, uh, we learned this year that we were fine with it and obviously got us uh, uh, you know, second by points in the league. So, um, you know, as far as I think, I think at the end of the day, I guess the bottom line is there'll, there'll be three goaltenders that will compete for those jobs. All right, there it is. Expect to see competition in net. Which I'm okay with. Yeah. Uh, I'm okay with it. Iron sharpens iron, all of that stuff. What what separates good teams from great teams mm-hmm. is depth. Yeah. When, when you have someone who can step up when there's injury, and we saw that so much with the Canes this year, uh, whether it be in goal when, when Freddie's hurt slash shaking that first round and, and Ansi Ranta steps up and plays really well, um, or you know just the, the rest of the skaters for the Canes this uh, postseason, especially depth is so important. You mentioned depth. How are they going to get that? So let's quit that and let's hit this. Regarding the Carolina Hurricanes, the offseason is here. They have a lot of cap space. Looking ahead to their salary cap projections for this upcoming season, looks like Carolina is going to be about $24 million in cap space right now. Now here's the things to consider, all right? You still got to re-sign guys like Jordan Stahl. What are you going to do with Jesper Faust? All right, there are there are decisions to be Shane Goss to spare. There are decisions to be made regarding players that are on the roster currently. Derek Stepan's a free agent. There are some other guys who are restricted free agents, like guess they pull the RV. I don't expect to see back. But the question is, okay, how are you gonna approach this offseason, Don Waddell? You going after that free agent market or you looking to do some wheeling and dealing? Free agency is uh, July 1st is probably the most dangerous day in hockey besides the trade deadline. Um, you know, the one thing that I said is we have lots of cap space this year. Very rare does a free agent come and hit the open market and say, okay, I'm going to sign for one year. Uh, so we have to be a little bit, uh, you know, this is not a one-year play. It's got to be a uh, you know, long-term play of how we look it up. That's why we like to... You know, get on the front end of some of our uh, bigger contracts and over there are going to sit. So I think I still think the trade route is something that we're going to explore very heavily before free agency. And again, you know, there's a lot of teams that because the cap uh, is going up only a million dollars that uh, are in situations uh, as some teams were last year where they have to move some pretty good players. So we want to make sure that we're in a position and talking to those teams that if something does come up that uh, that feel fits our team that would be in position to uh, move on all right so july 1st is when free agency begins in the nhl yes all right so that's when we said july 1st can be a tough thing because you feel like oh i can sign this player to this big contract so yeah he says it's a dangerous day much like the trade deadline i liked using the word dangerous that that was a good choice of words it really is because this is where teams oftentimes can find themselves overspending for players. Well, and then you're hurting yourself in the long run, which yes. is going to be so important if you want to maintain that consistency that the Canes have had making the playoffs for the past five years. And and this offseason, too, it's, it's going to be about not just this year and yeah. trying to make a push this year. It's about 
making sure that core is locked up moving forward. The Sebastian Ajos of the world, who may not be free agents this year, may not be unrestricted free agents, you know, in two years, but you need to get locked up sooner rather than later because chances are they're just going to continue to up their play and going to continue to demand more money. And that is something Don Waddell did talk about. Uh, we don't have the sound on this, but it is something that he is going to address this offseason as well. It's not just signing the free agents you have now, but guys like Brady Shea, Brett Pesci, Sebastian Ajo, all are free agents after this upcoming season. It's a little different for guys like Seth Jarvis, Jack Drury, Martin Natchez. Those guys are restricted free agents, so they can't just freely sign with anyone else. So there's a little bit more control that the Canes have. That's why making deals with Ajo are much more important. Now, in terms of the trades, we've seen this in Carolina Hurricanes history. He's not afraid, he being Don Waddell, to go after a player like we saw last year with Brett Burns. But the reason why Brett Burns was such a good deal is that you didn't trade for him for just this season. Yeah. He still has two years left on his contract. So not only do you have him this year, you got him for two more years. And I understand that he's up there in age, but he still continues to produce. And that is something that is that cannot be understated is the fact that even at age 38, he still gets the job done. So, yes, free agency. It's a good thing. You got to supplement your roster with free agency. But I have been on the record saying this. You can take advantage of teams by their terrible salary cap situation. And I think Carolina Hurricanes have to go for a top end forward. That's my opinion. They consistently are one of the top in the NHL in terms of generating scoring chances, high danger scoring chances, all those things. But what's something we always consistently hear from the Carolina Hurricanes is what? Got culture. to score. Well, well no, score. culture, but got to score, right? Yeah. Got to score. Well, Rob Brindamore, you mentioned fit, said find the guys that are the right fit. As a coach, you, you're on to bring your guys back. I like the way we have it. I had Svesh there. I think he's going to get a goal here or there in this year. I mean, it's just that we're right there with what we have. Can we get better? It, of course, we're trying to. Every team's trying to get better. It's just you got to make it has to be a right fit. It has to. You say, I'll bring a pure goal scorer in, but if he doesn't fit, it's not going to really make us better. So um, it's all about people and the guys that we bring in have to fit and be a part of understand what we're trying to do here and fit in. So, yes, can can we get that covered? So it's not just a goal scorer or just it has to be the right fit. And we've done a real nice job management and bringing in those kind of people. I think they were fitting, um, you know, can get a guy that can score a few, yeah, that'd be great. Uh, but he has to be the right fit. That's, yeah, the fit is going to be everything because what the, the Hurricanes have been able to create, it, it's the, the culture that they have. It's part of the, it's the main reason, I would argue, why they are in the position that they are in, where you feel like they are just a piece or two away from truly ascending to, you know, lifting Lord Stanley's cup. Yep. Um, you know, I, I think that that will be interesting because it's you, you can bring in like a, a someone who's going to get the well over 100 points type thing, but are they going to work with what you're doing? Yeah. That's the key. And so you mentioned the teams that are in salary cap, uh, H-E-double hockey sticks, if yeah. you will. Uh, you know, Vancouver, for example, uh, Tampa Bay, where they don't have a whole lot of space, but they also don't have much else in terms of picks. So they don't really have a position to, to get stuff. They're going to need to trade. Uh, they're going to need to work through free agency. Yeah. So find that and go for it. I think that's what Don Waddell has been doing. He, he mentioned that he's been calling, talking with other managers. I think just talking about the trades as much as he did in this this post, this uh, press conference, 
I think that kind of gets the message out there too. Hey, we're open for business. Come on down. What do you got? How can we help you? They're willing to wheel and deal. Wheel and, and I deal. think their Carolina is going to make some moves this offseason. All right, let's quit that. Let's hit this. Tell them to bring me my money. Yes. Bring the money. Bring the money to college football players. I, I like that. Bring the money to college football players. So Nick Saban talked about, hey, you know what? Maybe it's time that we unionize college football? Well, I, I just think that, yeah, I, I have no problem with, with that. I mean, unionize it, make it like the NFL. I mean, if it's going to be the same for everyone, uh, I think that's better than what we have now because what we have now is we have some states and some schools in some states that are investing a lot more money uh, in terms of managing their roster than other others and I think this is going to create a real competitive disadvantage for some in the future and it's also going to create an imbalance uh, in competitive nature of the sport which that's not good for the sport everything they do in the NFL is to create what parity parity so and if they could have everybody going into the 17th week of the season at eight and eight, that would be like a dream for the NFL. Because every team would be watch, every fan would be watching their team to see if they get in the playoffs. Well, you think there's disparity in college football right now? There's going to be a lot more in the future. So two things with that. I think we can break what he set up into two pieces. First off, the unionizing aspect of that. Players need to be able to make the money that they deserve because they are the product when it comes to college athletics, 100%. It is a lot more difficult to unionize an organization that has many, many organizations within it, yep. um, you know, in, in college football. That is, I think that's that's a little bit more complicated than Nick Saban may be giving credit to there. And he said, if it's the same for everyone, it's not going to be the same for everyone. No, it's not. So guess what? If you want it to be the same for everyone, Nick Saban, well, guess what you have to do? Money, revenue that you pull in, being in the SEC from television contracts, those kinds of things. Well, guess what? If you want it to be the same for everybody, you got to start forking that money over to Wake Forest. You got to start sending that money over to Washington State if you want everyone to have the same playing field. And, and because just, that's how the NFL works. Well, and, it's and, revenue exactly. sharing. And that's that's 32 teams. That's 32 organizations. You yes. have more. We have twice that much in in Power Five alone. I just to, to me, and it's it's that that the, this notion that NIL is just taking the disparity of college athletics, college football especially, and turning it up to 10. This is where we were going. Did NIL Mm -hmm. fast forward the process a little bit? Maybe in some ways, but in other ways, it's giving other schools and programs the opportunity to get some of these top players. So I, to me, it it is a little bit uh, nonsensical to, to blame NIL that much because it's, this is where, this is what college football has always been. It's been the the haves having a lot and the haves nots trying to find ways to get there. Sometimes they do. UCF, Cincinnati, uh, uh, TCU, TCU. Although you know they're still in the Big Twelve, but that's I don't know that that frustrates me a little bit here from Nick Saban. You want to talk about parity in college football? It's the same teams every year, right? Yep. It's still Ohio State. It's still Alabama, Clemson. It's still Michigan, Michigan, Georgia. Get Georgia. Oklahoma on occasion. You know, it's like it's still those same schools. That was before name, image, likeness. That's before the Big Ten and the SEC started signing these big TV contracts, these big media rights deals. So guess what? 
What's the difference? It's not changing anything. So you know what? Here's the thing. Nick Saban, these college coaches, the only thing that you hate right now is that you have less control. That's the that's what you hate the most. You don't have any control. And that's what drives you nuts. All right, let's quit that. Let's hit this. We're going to get more into that here in a little bit. Anyway, ACC football schedule's out. That it is. Well, ACC football, we have game times. Yes. For ACC football. First the first three, three weeks. weeks of the season. Couple big ones to highlight here locally. North Carolina, week one, going down to Charlotte, Bank of America Stadium, Dukes Mayo uh, kickoff, Dukes Mayo Classic, primetime 7.30 game on ABC against South Carolina. That same weekend, that Monday night football game, Duke at home against Clemson. That's an 8 o'clock kickoff on ESPN. Week two, NC State at home, noon kickoff, ABC against Notre Dame. The three triangle schools in the first two weeks of the season are all getting prime slots. Yeah. Okay? Noon kickoff on ABC is a prime slot for NC State. The 7.30, it's a prime kickoff game on ABC for UNC. Monday night football. Because the NFL hasn't kicked off yet. You get Monday night football on ESPN. Duke at home against Clemson. People are going to watch that game. Well, that and that's a game, too, that it's like always an ACC game, and I feel like it's Miami-Clemson, you know, and, and you know, Notre Dame-Miami, and, like, those those type of high-flying, you know, caliber programs. Mm-hmm. Duke getting involved in that conversation on that Monday night game, I mean, that's huge. Good good for the Blue Devil. That's a, it's, it shows, I think, the respect that uh, Mike Elko has helped to create for this Duke football team after having a great turnaround in his first year. Truly. All right, let's go ahead and quit that. Hit this. Damn! We have college football bowl games announced. So we have the schedule. I'm not going to dive into every single bowl. No. Game. We, not going if to. we don't know who the teams are. We, exactly. We don't know who the teams are. We have game times, kickoffs, all that kind of but stuff. We care but about, this is America. We it, care about sponsorships. Yes. So we used to, I mean, we've had, obviously, the Duke's Mayo Bowl in Charlotte. Yeah. Very localized thing. We used, we used to have the Cheez-It Bowl. Cheez-It Bowl's gone. Great snack. It's now the Pop-Tarts Bowl. Yeah, buddy. The Pop-Tarts Bowl. You're all excited on this. I love it. Why? Uh, so I think well, I think there's a lot of great mascot opportunity. Sure. Like a bunch of different flavors. What's your favorite Pop-Tart flavor? I don't like Pop-Tarts. You. I don't like Pop-Tarts. Disgusting. How dare you? Exactly. Disgusting are Pop-Tarts. Um, I think Pop-Tarts I mean, are gross. Strawberry, Wildberry, things like that, great. Uh, I think S'mores is very underrated. Okay. My girlfriend. She will toast Pop Tarts and then put butter on top of the Pop Tarts like it's a toast. Okay. I don't know. Is that something people do? Apparently, I don't know. I Apparently, it. you good. tell me. I don't eat Pop Tarts. It's good. Um, is it? I, I mean, I've, I've I tried Pop Tarts. I don't like Pop Tarts. Um, but to me, this continues to open up the door for future snack food related bowl games. We have the the Tony the Tiger Bowl, Frosted Flakes. Uh, let's keep the cereal going. Um, you know, instead of Captain Crunch, that I think feels a little too obvious. Let's do Captain Crunch. Oops, all berries. Just oops, all berries. Just bowl. oops, all berries. Oops, all berries. Bowl. Uh, Everyone, both teams have to wear their colored uniforms. I like it. Themes. Uh, the Pillsbury Bowl, perhaps. Have a little Pils- Pillsbury Doughboy running around on the sideline. I would love that. I People want a giant Pillsbury Doughboy. Score a touchdown. Go poke his belly. And he goes. Ooh. Yes, give me that. I want a. I want a double stuffed Oreo bowl. I like it. I want double stuffed Oreo bowl. Mm. All right, let's quit that. Let's hit this. Speaking of postseason college athletics, we have the baseball regionals getting underway this Friday in college baseball, the NCAA tournament, the field of 64. 
was announced earlier this week. We actually do have game times. You can listen to games on our family of networks here. All right, so for example, Duke plays UNC Wilmington. We talked to UNC Wilmington head coach uh, Randy Hood earlier. If you missed that conversation, it's on the Best of 99.9 The Fan podcast. But Duke plays UNC Wilmington. One o'clock first pitch this Friday. You can listen to that over on Buzz Sports Radio. So that's 6.20 a.m. as well as 99.9 HD2. Also 104.5 FM as well. Plus, NC State plays Campbell. We talked to Campbell coach uh, Coach Harry yesterday right here on this program. Go listen to the best of 99.9 The Fan Podcast. But NC State plays Campbell Friday, 1 o'clock first pitch. You can listen to that over on News Plus. That's 99.3 FM if you're in Raleigh, 96.5 FM if you're in the Durham area. But speaking of those schools, Duke and NC State, Chris Pollard, Duke baseball coach on if he feels that the mindset of not being able to end the season the way he wanted it to and how that impacts the upcoming series down in Conway, South Carolina. We talk a lot in our program about, you know, avoiding the rat poison and, and, and not not getting wrapped up in what's being said on social media or, or, or rankings or all those things that can start to become distractions at the end of the year. And, you know what, you can talk about it and you can emphasize it, but sometimes uh, the understanding, we, we deal with really smart players in mm-hmm. our program, and I think an awareness and understanding of, where we were, um, it did seep into our approach some. And we, we played a little bit tighter in the month of May than we needed to or than we had played uh, through the first two-thirds of the season. But, again, I think, you know, we, we can look up at this point and say, hey, that's over and done with. That's water under the bridge. Uh, let, let's get back to being who we are and let's go out and, 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 and enjoy being a part of the fact that we're one of the last 64 teams standing. That's Duke head coach Chris Pollard on um, being able to finish the season the, the way they want to and, again, avoid all the distractions, Lewis. Yes, and Duke was in conversation to host a regional yeah. uh, before the ACC tournament. They ended up losing to NC State early on. Um, you know, I I think just went with the uh, college baseball regionals approaching here, I think we have to give a round of applause to the state of North Carolina. Yes, eight schools. Eight schools. So 64 teams. Eight schools from the state of North Carolina are represented. That is one-eighth of the field. Mm-hmm. ECU, Charlotte, Campbell, NC State, Duke, UNCW, UNC, Wake Forest. Uh, there are – so that's six regions that will have a North Carolina team. Mm-hmm. Six regionals that will have a North Carolina team in there. Um, the, the highest being Wake Forest, a couple of two seeds in there with ECU and Campbell, um, and, and then the main powerhouses in there too. It's it's really impressive what UNC – or excuse me, what North Carolina baseball – as a whole, not just UNC, but as a whole, has been able to do. Elliot Avent, head coach at NC State, faces Campbell. He talks about facing the Campbells. They're a team that just plays with such emotion, and they got a lot of older guys. And uh, Justin Hare has done a great job uh, down there at Campbell. So it's going to be a great challenge for us, but one we're looking forward to. And then you're talking about South Carolina playing at home. <laughs> has had a tremendous year, certainly worthy of hosting with their resume, uh, I think at one point in the year, they were like 30 and four or something. Yeah. They've been incredible all year. And uh, so it's, uh, we got our work cut out for us. That's Elliot Avent, NC State baseball coach. He and Chris Pollard, the Duke head coach, spoke with Adam Gold earlier today. Check out those full conversations on the Best of Adam Gold Show podcast. That's Luis Fernandez, Dennis Cox here with you. Graham Hill producing us this afternoon on 99.9 The Fan. 
Thank you for listening to the Best of the Drive podcast. I'm Tim Donnelly here with Coach Pete Deruda, America's wealth coach and best-selling author. Coach, one of the big questions I always hear is, do I have enough money to retire? Well, maybe, maybe not. The most important thing is you have lifetime income you can never outlive. We'll design that plan for the next 10 people to call. No cost or obligation. Put yourself in control of retirement. Call 800-691-3215. You can also text Tim to 600-700. That's T-I-M to 600-700. You'll hear from Coach Pete and the Capital Financial advisory group hit me lewis this comes from brian murray murphy of wrl investigative sports reporter hey, we know that guy we do know that guy we talk to him every now and then um nc state pass nc senate passes sports wagering bill house must agree to changes so essentially we, we talked about this yes it's it is another step there are still a lot of things that have to happen here but uh, we, we talked with Brian, I think it was last week or the week before yep. that, um, where there was essentially continued progress being made on this. Um, but from WRL News right now, this just a push alert came to my phone uh, while we were in commercial break. Uh, North Carolina made a big step uh, closer to legalizing online sports gambling. Uh, the state Senate passed House Bill 347 on its second reading. So the Senate must vote again on the measure Thursday. But that is a formality that is unlikely to lead to any changed votes. So a big step. Next up, what essentially has to happen, the legislation will return to the House because the Senate made changes to the legislation after the House uh, put this forward. So lawmakers must agree to the Senate's many changes. Mm -hmm. And then if they do that, then it must be signed by Governor Roy Cooper before becoming law. So just as a reminder, the bill's effective date for all of these changes would be January 8th, but the bill states that, quote, sports wagering shall not be authorized in the state until a date identified by the Lottery Commission, which shall occur as soon as practicable and maybe no later than 12 months after the date this act becomes law. So beginning of the year still seems to be the goal. That, I think, makes the most sense, especially when you consider um, preparing for the Super Bowl that year. Um but, you know, so that's that's a big step. It is not passed and everything is ready and good to go. Uh, but the, the Senate has done some voting. Uh, and so it's it's looking like it's just continuing to move that ball forward and just kind of seeing what next up. OK, they do that second vote uh, tomorrow, yep. which should be just fine. Nothing changes really with that. And then it's got to be the House and then the governor has to sign. So big steps towards uh, allowing online sports gambling. So the reason why it has to go back to the House is because the, the House of Representatives for the state approved an initial bill the senate made changes to it that's the reason why it has to go yes. back to the to the house but again voting on it getting in tomorrow is a bit of a formality as you mentioned because this is a tax revenue uh thing in the state yes. so because this of that generates tax revenue they vote on it twice in the senate but by all accounts it looks like this thing's moving forward folks yes now again not next week you can vote that's not the case but again when the lottery commission takes over this is when they start allowing bids to come in from different sports books that have to buy in, all yes. those kinds of things, have to get the tax infrastructure and everything set. That takes a little bit of time 
for those things to start happening. Mm-hmm. And and it's t- it's true. It's we you talked about some of the changes. Some of them were pretty major from the House to the Senate's version. Uh, they jumping up the the tax revenue percentage from I think it was fourteen to eighteen yep. percent, um, allowing more schools to get involved in uh, where some of these funds would go to. Some of those more um, essentially every college program. Uh, in the the state that is not NC State and UNC, every state um, school. state school, yes, every state school. Um, so that's that's big. Uh, and, and two, the physical locations of some of these sports books, where they would be. Uh, for example, even earlier today, when when Don Waddell was talking about offseason stuff, he was asked about, hey, what are the PNC expansion changes going to look like? How is that sports book going to be involved? You could vote in person at some of these uh, professional sporting venues. Uh, for example, PNC Arena. Bank of America Stadium, they would be a little bit more um, uh, strict on which ones. It, Durham Bulls, for example, you couldn't go vote there, even though it is a professional stadium. Um, but it's, yes, big step getting to this point in the Senate, then back to the House would be the next step, and then to the governor's desk. Okay, so that's something that we are seeing being put into law, something Nick Saban kind of wants to be put into Ooh, law, for good lack transition. of a better term, is the unionization, essentially, not essentially, he wants the unionization of college football. And Graham, that that, that soundbite that we have of uh, of Nick Saban, just play the first part of that. Don't get into the disparity of college sports. I just want to talk about the the unionization part. Of well, I, I just think that yeah, I, I have no problem with with that. I mean, unionize it, make it like the NFL. I mean, if it's going to be the same for everyone, uh, I think that's better than what we have now because what we have now is we have some states and some schools and some states that are investing a lot more money. Uh, in terms of managing their roster than other others, and I think this is going to create a real competitive disadvantage for some in the future. Okay. Unionizing. Nick, do you know what a union is? Like, do you know how a union works when it comes to when it comes to athletics and comes and sports? Do you really understand, Nick, what a union actually does and how that operates? I don't think he does. It's it would it, it it would be so difficult and complicated and you know per- perhaps in the future this is what we're ultimately leading to right where you have currently NIL um players being compensated by the university i would imagine would be the next step but it's p- part of the issue is that there's been so much lack of leadership around all of this this transitioning towards NIL it's been it's been very much like Oh, we're going to wait and see. No one wanted to make the move. The NCAA's essentially been non-existent in all of this. Um and there, there are a lot of kind of coming togethers that would need to have, right? Would need mm-hmm. to happen. Uh, the NFLPA, for example, that's 32 organizations. Just in Power Five uh, alone in college, you have twice as many. Yeah. So that's is, just Power Five. That's just Power Five, and there's and so many more. Group of five conference. I mean, it's it would be a very complicated thing. I think that um, college football coaches, especially, I think, are guilty of this. There are a lot of um, they they like to kind of scare people a little bit, make excuses for for why it will not work. They will come out here and say out loud, "Yes, NIL is great. I want the players to be compensated because that's what you need to do from like a recruiting perspective." Sure, Dabo Sweeney, I think, is an example of this. He's done a one eighty on a lot of this stuff um, since you know his initial comments about NIL before it got passed. I, you know, so so to me. Sometimes I think college football coaches especially just like to throw things out there and say, I don't know, I'm, I'm worried about this, I'm worried about that. He mm-hmm. went on to talk more about the disparity of things. I just, it, it, it frustrates me because it feels like we're constantly like 
dancing around a conversation of player compensation and continued player empowerment. Yeah. And it's it's going to come. It's just when. Just the logistical points of having a union, who are you going to unionize with? Because we talk about players' unions in pro sports, right? For example, they have the the NFL Players Association or the NHL Players Association, the NBA Players Association. They deal with the entity of the pro league that they play for, right? Well, if the players unionize, who runs that? You need to have a director. You need to have a, a president, representatives from every school representing every team, representing themselves or representing the group in negotiations, all that kind of stuff. Everyone voting on these things when it comes to a union and what the union needs in terms of working with the employer. Well, who are you negotiating with? It's not the NCAA. That I can tell you. NCAA is not going to deal with a union. So who is it? Like, who are you dealing with? Also, one thing I know a lot of people, I know we got to get the break, but I know a lot of people out there that are driving in their cars and where they work, what are they told when they sign on as an employee of their company? You can't do what? Unionize. I've worked in college athletics before, and you know what I was told you can't do when I signed on to work at a lot of these schools? School policy can't unionize. It's complicated. You think you think you think that they're just going to make exceptions for players? It's it's not going to happen. So why are we trying to? It's like Mean Girls. Like oh, quit making fetch happen. We're trying to make fetch happen. What a great. This isn't Mean Girls. Okay, quit trying to make this unionization thing happen. It's not gonna happen folks i'm sorry there are just too many moving parts the logistical nightmare of trying to make a union happen not gonna work when you try to deal with across state line employment for example if you're a state employee here in the state of north carolina you get sent out of state to go like how does tax work for example nfl if you play for the carolina panthers and you go play a game uh in uh in the meadowlands against the jets in new jersey well, you get taxed by the state of New Jersey for that game you played. So if now you're an employee, let's say of NC State as a football player, and you go up to Boston College to play against the Eagles, well then are my and I'm are you now being taxed for what you're doing up there in the state of Massachusetts? They do that in the NFL. They call it the jock tax because of how much money they make per week. That stuff happens. Is that gonna happen in college sports too? Like how does all that work? You get tell me someone figure that out for me, call Nick Saban. Figure it out for me and tell how it's gonna work. Otherwise, it ain't happening.